Good morning, welcome to Friends Church. Um, actually, I also want to say a big shout out. So, congrats to all you for getting up early in the morning and coming here. That's wonderful. That's an accomplishment, right? There's also about 20,000 people per month who access us via podcast. So I always have this weird thought of where exactly are they in listening to my voice right now? So whatever weird spot you're in right now, hi, thanks for coming out, thanks for listening. Um, This is probably something you guys have never had to deal with, but the other day I had a conversation with a friend and I said something along the lines of, well, I said this. And their response was, no, you didn't. And of course, being the elevated, learned person that I am, I said, yes, I did. And they came back with, no, you didn't. Any, any have any resonance in these conversations? You know, <laughs> how long do you go back and forth with, yes, I did, no, I didn't, yes, I did, no, I didn't. You actually aren't having a conversation about what was said. The conversation is, what did I say? Now, I know it's kind of a weird example, and we all do it, but it's actually the core of the value we want to talk about today. It's one of the things that when you pull back the curtain of Friends Church, this is how we operate. It actually, I'm going to explain it to you by telling you a story of my, one of my best buddies. His name's Corey, wicked guy. When we get together, all we do is we find a topic we disagree on and we argue for hours. He doesn't like to use the word argue, he likes the word debate better, but whatever. The whole point is to catch somebody in a fault of logic. If I can catch him saying something that's not perfectly accurate, I just hammer him. And then for weeks later, I'm like, hey, remember that time when you said that thing that was completely wrong? Now, this is going to surprise you, but Corey also gets great joy out of finding errors in my logic. It's funny, Jeff also gets a lot of joy out of that too. (laughs) So I decided what I would do is take my good buddy Corey and I'd put him on stage at Friends Church so that he could catch any errors in logic that I say in front of you all because that just makes me feel better as a person when I, you know, have an audience to fail in front of. And then I decided that I would share with Corey some of the really weird, weird stories from the Bible. You know, the ones with talking animals and like angels having sex with humans and like, you know, the weird stuff to see how he'd react. Because I thought that'd be a really fun thing to do, wouldn't it? And it started off, I brought him up on stage. Originally, I'd talked to the crowd a little bit and then I put, I had him in the back. He was wearing headphones, listening to music. So he didn't hear what was going on. Then I brought him up on stage and I was like, I'm going to share with you some stories of the Bible, just lines. And I just want you to react in whatever way you want to react. He's kind of like, okay. So I started off with kind of a fairly common one. In most of, there's two stories about Jesus' birth where they say that Mary was a virgin. And so what I decided to do is start with that one. So I said, Corey, (laughs) Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus. And without even like a hesitation, he says, you're an idiot. Vince, you can't, like, virgin and birth are not things. So, like, what you're saying makes no sense. And I thought, well, that was a good start to this thing, you know. We started off with Vince is an idiot, and let's see where we can go from there. And so I thought I would tell them the story, and actually the story Jeff told, uh, I want to say three weeks ago. 
It's a story that's often called Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the big fish. For those of you who don't know the story, there's a story about this character named Jonah, and he gets a call from a character named God in the story. And I say the word character God because it's a conception of God, and you'll understand in a second. So Jonah gets this calling from the character God to go that way. And so which way does Jonah go? That way. He like runs away. And so he jumps on a ship to go to the opposite end of the world. And while he's on the ship, a storm blows up. Not like, a, like it's a little blustery, like we're all gonna die in the storm if we don't do something. Now, in their conception of God, when a cataclysmic event happens, is because someone pissed off their conception of God. And so the issue with the storm is, well, who was it? Who is God angry at? And so the way they figured it out, this is the way they conceived of it, the way they figured it out is essentially they pulled straws. Everyone gets around in the boat, they have straws, everyone pulls their straw, and someone gets the short straw. So guess who gets the short straw? Jonah. And so again, in their conception of the divine, this is what you do. When you find the person with a short straw, you gotta kill him. Because that's just normal, right? <laughs> so they take Jonah, they like toss him over the side of the boat in a storm in the middle of the ocean, right? Now, the story goes that a giant fish comes up and catches Jonah, I don't actually know how it goes, but swallows Jonah, and Jonah lives in the belly of a whale or a big fish for three days. Yes, without air, without, you know, in the bile or whatever's in there. And then the fish comes to the, the, the shore three days later and pukes Jonah up onto the beach and Jonah kind of brushes himself off. <laughs> A little bit, right? But whatever, he, he's fine. So I say to my buddy, Corey, in this thing, you know, in front of you all, I say, hey, Corey, I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and lived for three days. And he kind of pauses and he looks at me. <laughs> He's like, well, you can believe whatever you want. Isn't that strange? The first one I commented on, Jesus is, or Mary's a virgin when she has Jesus. He says, Vince, you're an idiot. The second one I comment on, he says, well, you can believe whatever you want. Why the difference? Hey, Yanni, can you throw those up for me on the multimedia? Now, for those of you who've been around Friend Church for a while, zip it. Let's let the new people figure this one out because you already know the answers because you live this stuff out. You get this. But I'm going to do a little audience participation. What's the difference between those two statements I said to my buddy Corey? Just yell it out. I believe. That's the magic part of the line. You see, when I say something without the I believe, and it's a belief statement, let me just take a step back. Um, can we prove that a human can live in the belly of a whale for three days? Remember, in science, we have to have repeatability. Would anyone be willing to be swallowed by a big fish, and we'll start the stopwatch, and after three days, if it pukes you out and you live, we're like, totally repeatable. Any... <laughs> It's funny, they haven't done this experiment yet. I wonder why. <laughs> it's because the biology of it doesn't work. Now, there could be some like, you know, all the laws of the universe suddenly change. 
and then it could happen. But really, when we look at it, the biology doesn't work. And so if we look at it through a scientific lens, we say, can we repeat this? No, we can't, or at least we haven't yet. Again, you guys have not offered to allow us to test this. What we're dealing with is a story with a detail that probably isn't provable. It's not a fact of science. Same thing with a virgin birth. You need an egg and a sperm. Without one of those, not going to happen. Now, we can say there's a supernatural event that changes all the laws of nature, sure. But repeatability-wise, in terms of science, we cannot make a single egg suddenly get fertilized. So when we look at it through a scientific lens, this is not something that's provable, that's repeatable. When you read through the Bible, story after story after story doesn't fit through the lens of we can prove that this is fact. Can you prove even that there was a guy named Jonah who lived, let's say, 3,000 years ago? We can't. Can we prove much of the Bible? No, there's huge sections we can't prove that are not connected to the archeological evidence. Now, if you grew up in the church, this part of the conversation is probably feeling a little uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I grew up in this era of church that said, if I can't prove something in the Bible, if I can't prove one of our founding stories, it's not valuable. Its value is in its proof. I was reading the history of God. I I quoted a couple weeks ago, Karen Armstrong. She actually traces this back to Descartes. Up until Descartes, we had this separation between science. Well, actually, science wasn't invented earlier than that, let's be honest. We had this history of spiritual practice that worked, stories that moved us and changed us. And then Descartes starts to go, well, wait a second, what what can we trust? That which we can prove. And over the next couple decades, things that weren't provable seemed less valuable. We're part of that later tradition. If there's no Jonah, some people say this, if there's no Jonah, and Jonah didn't live in the belly of a whale for three days, garbage, throw it out, useless, not even valuable. And yet how many of us have stories of being called to take water And we're going, oh, I don't want to take that water. That sucks. That's hard. I have to give to, no, screw that. I'm going this way. There's this idea that says stories that aren't factual, aren't provable, aren't historical, are somehow less valuable. We don't agree. We don't agree at all. Most scientists start with a story. A belief that there's something in that direction. Uh, do you guys follow CERN? The, one of the large hydrogen colliders, they basically take stuff and shoot them at each other. It's basically smash-up derby for, like, with a lot of money involved. 
but they're trying to find core particles. They don't actually know what they're finding. They have a belief that there's something in that direction. Just the other day, I read a paper. They're like, yeah, it wasn't there. (laughs) We thought it was over there, not there. We start with a belief that there's something valuable over there. If you would log onto your bank right now, there's a number attached to your account. Hopefully, it's a big number. I wish that for you all. You have a belief that that number, if you walk into the bank, they will give you that number, right? You hope that that's <laughs> When I say to my wife, I love you, and she says, I love you back, I have a belief that that means something. Throughout our lives, we live on beliefs. All you logical people out there like me, I know this feels a little dirty. But it's kind of true, isn't it? Let's go even further. I read a uh, story recently from the 60s about a Buddhist monk named, actually I don't even want to pronounce his name. Did you have it up there for me? That, whoever speaks Vietnamese, that's his name. The world was trying to ban his beliefs. You couldn't practice your spirituality anymore. His beliefs were so powerful, so to protest, he lit himself on fire and sat in perfect peace as he died, saying to the entire world, this is the power of my beliefs. We cannot remove this from the world. Everything changed. World policy changed because of the power of his belief. Any suicide bomber on the other side of this thing also uses belief to say, I will give my life for my beliefs. Beliefs are unbelievably powerful in our lives. It's not good or bad. It's kind of, beliefs are almost like you know, splitting the atom. We can power cities with that. We can also blow them up. Jeff's been talking in the last couple of weeks about what beliefs are worth paying attention to. But for this message, in this value, when someone says, oh, that's just a belief, I say, have you seen the power of beliefs in the world around you? Here's our value. Can you throw it for me, Yanni? We value being honest about what can or can't be proven. Can you throw the next line that I put up there? We value stating our beliefs as beliefs, not as facts. Can you leave it up for a little bit, Yanni? We value stating our beliefs as beliefs, not as facts, no matter how deeply we hold them. This is the piece. In growing up years, the way it worked for me was this. If you were part of a religious tradition and you had a belief that you really liked, you would state it as a fact. God is, and then they'd like do this thing. And the more passionate the preacher was, the more certain they were. It's like, I know everything. There's no beliefs here. This is all facts. And if you think there's a belief here, you're out. We go the other way. We say, hey, this is how it seems to me. This is my belief. But beliefs will change the world. So our value is simply this. We try, and it's hard, 
we try never to state a belief like it's a fact. Someone might hold the belief that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. There was no male portion of this. And I understand if you're Catholic, there's a huge storied theology connected to this. It's just a belief. If that one's important to you, say it this way. I believe Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. That's being honest. Can you prove it? No. Is it important? It might be. It might be everything for you. All we do is we just state it like it's a belief. Any belief. The reason I say this character of God in the story is because even the conception of God is a belief. And so I just say it in that way. It's my way of kind of being a flag, being, hey, hey, there's a conception here. I was gonna, it's not fact. Conception, belief. No less powerful. But I'm just honest. Here's why we hold this. I've had, well, again, you, I, you know these stories. Every time I'm with someone, within the beginning of the small talk, it's what do you do for a living? And if I don't want to deal with it, I just say I'm a welder. I don't think it's lying because I can weld. <laughs> I just don't want to go down that. Some days, you know, you just want to have a drink and just not worry about it. Because as soon as I say I'm a pastor, we're in this land. And in their minds, they think I'm going to talk to them like my beliefs are facts. And they are sitting like, some of the people, it's like they have this big old gun. And they're like, oh, here we go, buddy. <laughs> One wrong move and I'm going to blow your head off. And then I say, you know what? Here's what I believe. And I just state all this stuff, not as fact, but as belief. The one that's really resonating with me right now is this one. In the Babylonian uh, diaspora, they conceived of a new way of conceiving of the divine. They said, the divine lives as a spark in me and a spark in you. You are the walking divine. And you, each one of us, can walk into the moment of somebody else's life and the spark of the divine in me becomes the presence of the divine for them. They're going, I've been left, no one cares, there's nothing. And we walk in and take water and they're going, is that a fact? No. Is it a belief? Profound. When you state your beliefs like beliefs, you will be blown away by the conversations you have. The openness. Okay, that's a weird belief. Why do you believe that? Not, you're an idiot. I'm going to blow your head off. Let's take it right back to the beginning. I said this. No, you didn't. Can either of us prove what we said? No. We know memory is faulty. We know that every time we recall memory, it moves a little bit. So here's how you apply this value to your life. You say this way. I have a memory of me saying this. Is that the same memories you have? No, mine's over here. Oh. Now we're actually going to have a conversation about what we were trying to talk about, not whether my memory is fact. Being honest about what we believe 
It's the core of Friends Church. We're right in the middle of this series called Watering Our Worlds, talking about the values that power up this place, kind of behind the scenes. You know, uh, years ago, I was driving in the city, and I noticed uh, an ad that came up on the radio. It was announcing a blood drive that they were doing. They were saying that they were short um, donors, and they're needing people to step up and donate blood. For whatever reason, I rarely pay attention to commercials that come on, but that caught my eye. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to donate blood. Never done it before. I'm going to do that. And it was kind of in the back of my mind. I said, you know, I'm probably I'm going to get around to that at some point. I very, very shortly after that, I was online. I think I was on Facebook and someone, a friend of mine, she posted that she was donating blood. She had a picture of her in the chair, uh, Canadian Blood Services, donating blood. And it, it was like, it was kind of like, whoa, that was a weird coincidence. Look at that. She's already donating. I need to call her and just find out a little bit more about her donating. Because I, you know, I was kind of working up this kind of uh, the bravery to, to go and do this. Then, like, literally, I, I don't know how, how much later, but it, it, it could have even been, it was that week, I, I'm sitting at a red light and I look over and I see in this big billboard, 188-2-donate. <laughs> this is their big campaign to get people donating. I'm just like, what the heck is going on? I just had one of those moments where I was like, okay. Okay, I, it was so uncanny. I, I said, I, I, maybe I'm, like, I'm really supposed to be doing this or something. So I went home and I called and got signed up to donate. In the back of my mind, it was just kind of like the hair was standing up on the back of my neck going, is it someone telling me I should be doing this? Like, I don't know if you've ever had those moments where it's like weird coincidences. You're like, what was that about? So I go in and I'm sitting in the chair doing my first donation and the nurse is doing all these, I can't remember where in the, in the time that I was there she told me, but she says, hey, Jeff, um, you're an AB negative. And I said, oh, okay, cool. Didn't, it didn't mean much to me. I said, and in fact, I asked her, I said, what does that mean? She goes, well, actually, that's, that's the rarest form of blood we got. She said 0.05% of all donors are AB negative. I went, really? Is that, am I at risk or something? Like, I, w- I wasn't sure what she was saying here. She says, actually... AB negative is an amazing plasma donor. She said, it's a universal donor for all different blood types. I went, well, look at that. I feel special right in the moment. And I was kind of joking with her. She says, would you ever consider donating plasma? I said, you can donate plasma? News to me. I said, what's involved? Like, she said, well, and she started going through it. So I said, yes. She told me enough to, I said, oh yeah, I'll take a stab at that. Sure. 
Where do I sign up? She said, we'll be in touch. That was about 13 years ago. I have now donated on a kind of, if not a bi-weekly, kind of a monthly basis ever since. And there have been more times than not where I've thought about those original moments, those weird coincidental things that finally got me to the table to do this. And what has resulted out of it? Something tells me something was at play there. In fact, so much so that I am now pretty responsible to take a photo when I'm sitting in that chair. People think, oh, there goes Jeff bragging. No, 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 no. But I post on a very kind of consistent basis throughout the year photos of me sitting in that chair. Because over the course of 13 years, the number of people that have reached out to me afterwards going, I just did my first donation, Jeff. I saw one of your posts and it got me thinking. And I, I, I stepped out and did it. And, and, and so I hear these, and I go, could that be what happens? Could there be something else going on in these moments? We hear stories from time to time of people's weird experiences, what we call their X-Files, just unexplainable, uncanny circumstances that make the hair on the back of their neck go up and go, someone talking to me? Is there something going on deeper here? We've heard stories of people who are in the midst of one of the darkest chapters of their lives. Consciously or unconsciously, they're making decisions that are own, sabotaging their own lives. And they can be there in the middle of a dark chapter, and then all of a sudden, a phone call comes. And it happens to be a person who happens to say something that, for whatever reason, wakes them up. Sometimes they'll be sitting there in this trance, and something will come on, a scene in a movie on TV, that all of a sudden, it's just like laser beam and it grabs their attention, and there's like this moment where they're going, what am I doing? I remember one guy saying, my kid in the middle of one of my darkest times, and I'm just, I've, I've lost myself. My kid came and said this thing, and it was like, my kid knew what I was going through. Now he didn't, but everything that he said in that moment, he said, my hair on the back of my neck stood up, and he says, it was a catalyst for change. He says, it's like I, I came up for air and went, what the hell am I doing? We hear people talk about moments they've had as they stand on the top of a mountaintop. They're just doing a hike. They're just in this moment, and all of a sudden, they just begin to survey the landscape. And I've heard it said, some will say, all of a sudden everything just seems so big and beautiful. 
It just, the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I began to feel so small in the light of something so big. I've had people say the same kind of thing as they're staring up at the stars at night and they began to just fathom how massive the universe is. And they said, they're just, their circuits just blow. And the hair on the back, they're going, there's gotta be something going on out there. Some people describe it as they're looking at their newborn baby, seeing this little life, this little complicated bundle of organs and tissue that has been so formed so perfectly. It's looking up at them. The the heart is beating, their little finger nails, and, and their fingers are moving. And the complexity and the miracle of that life is what? This sense of something deeper and wider, an intelligence, something beyond what their physical senses can wrap their head around. And these moments can feel like there's just something, someone outside of ourselves, something beyond our even our rational mind that's present, an energy, a life force, something more. You know, in Celtic Christianity, they would define these moments when the physical realm, what we're doing every day, the in and out, the work, play, punching in, punching out, eating, sleeping, all of a sudden, the membrane between the physical realm and what they would describe as a spiritual realm, a, a, a a deeper realm, all of a sudden gets so thin. They're like, oh, they become aware, perhaps, that there is more going on than what their senses can even register. They're going, what the heck? Our spiritual ancestors believe that there is some kind of divine power, energy that could be tapped into. They called it God. They, in, in different ancestry lines, they, they personified this, this being out there. But it was just something deeper and wider to life as they knew it. And they believed that it could help lead and inspire and guide. The writer in Proverbs said, trust in this power. Listen to its voice. Everywhere you go, it will help keep you on track. At one point it says, don't assume you know everything. Don't get cocky in thinking your rational mind can wrap your head around everything that's going on. In the wisdom tradition of our ancestors, there was always a, a big caution flag put out saying, be careful that you don't become closed-minded close to this more than because it it is there and it's speaking it's moving it's doing stuff around here at Friends Church we believe that there is something more than what we can wrap our heads around we call it the more than I mean there's so many different names that have been used for this 
sense that, man, everything that we can see, there's, there's something more going on, reverberating, vibrating in this world, giving life meaning. In fact, a number of years ago, we wrote a value devoted to this very thing. We said we value people being guided by something more. All throughout the Bible, we read of something more interacting with and guiding individuals from every walk and level of life. And we see ourselves in a long line of generations that are taking part in an endless conversation between the divine and people. We're part of this ongoing conversation where our spidey senses start tingling and we're going, ooh, something happening here. These conversations, these thin place moments, they can happen anywhere, we believe. They can happen in the middle of a service. You can be sitting here just innocuously, just, and all of a sudden, it's like everything fades away and you feel something talking. Or you feel that moment where it's like a finger's pointing at you and you're going, hey, this is for you. And you go, hmm. It's not like a lot of, perhaps, experiences that we read of in the Bible. The Bible tells a lot of, like, miraculous, spectacular stories of the divine communicating. I mean, clouds, stars aligning, people coming out like a fortune teller saying, let me read your mail. I know what's going on in your life. And, and it's like, wow, with laser precision. No, it's not that these things don't happen. We just don't see them happen often. What we do see, there's a few patterns that we've watched of when it seems like these sin place moments kick in. We watch them happen with these coincidences. Now, I'm not saying every coincidence is, oh, there's something, something crazy going on. I'm not saying that. But I tell you, there are times I've listened to people talk about things just kind of aligning. And it was just enough for them to go, wait, something communicating right now. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, open up, maybe. Sometimes it happens. I was just chatting with with someone this morning in the lobby. We're talking about how sometimes the divine can communicate through people in our life and often without them even knowing it. She says, I'm a believer in that. I'm open. I'm open to that. I was having breakfast. I've told this story before with my mom. I was in a dark place. Oh, I was, I was bent in half over her as a parent with a kid that was going through a very tough time. I sat with my mom. She was in town. We were having breakfast at Coors in Brentwood Village Mall. And she began talking. And there was one part in the conversation where she delivered a line. And it was like everything went mute. The, I couldn't hear restaurant noise. I couldn't see. And all of a sudden, this warm feeling just, it was like, you know how you can be outside in the snow, wet, you get your feet really damp and cold and it's like your body starts to ache and then all of a sudden someone wraps a warm towel around those feet that's what it felt like and I felt this warm divine presence it's like it just wrapped me up and said Jeff you're okay we're gonna get through this you're doing a good job like I don't even know how to describe that 
But I just sat there. My mom's lips are moving. I don't hear a thing she's saying. But I just feel this. I walked out of there that day. Just, I couldn't stop smiling. I felt like I had some kind of thin place moment where this energy just went, you're okay. Some describe it as like an epiphany and like a moment of awareness. Remember talking to a guy, his marriage was on the ropes. They were ready to call, like call it off. They'd been to the lawyer. They'd been working through therapy. He sat in his office one day and it was like someone flipped on the lights and he said literally for the first time, I began to put together a bunch of different things that my wife had been saying to me that I was not willing to see. And it's just like all of a sudden it just, it dropped. He says, it was like this epiphany. He said, I don't know how to describe how that went down or why, but he says it was like a catalyst for change in my marriage. And he says, I just, I have no other way to describe it. It's just a spiritual moment. I go, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, pal. Could it be that the divine, something more out there, is communicating all around us and sometimes we're just not open or looking? There was times where Jesus would begin a teaching, a parable, and he'd say, let him or her who has ears to hear, let them hear. Let him who has eyes to see, let him see. And what he would often say is, I'm going to say some things, and it's going to fly right over some people's head because they are closed. But he said, there are people here, if you are tuned in, you let your spider senses spidey senses, kind of just open up a little bit. You're going to pick up what we're throwing down. Could it be that as we just learn to open up that more of these thin place moments could be happening all around, in and through us? You see, here at Friends, we believe that can happen. We've watched, we've felt it, we've experienced it. Now let me just say something. I'm done here. Over the years, as a friends community, that we've been kind of wrestling with some of our former beliefs and we've been deconstructing some stuff and going, man, I once used to believe that, but man, I don't know that I'm there anymore. I think I'm over here now. And we go through this whole process, something, and I am just going to speak from experience, something can easily happen as you begin to do that process. My openness, my spidey senses, in some ways I turned off because my logical mind began to say, I think I got this figured out. If I look back over my lifetime, some of the most powerful divine moments happened before I really started deconstructing. And so there's some of you who may be in that process of just saying, I'm going to take a real, really hyper-rational approach to this whole spirituality thing. I'd say, hey, don't check your brain at the door. You don't have to do that. You don't have to take your thinking mind and just throw it out. No, but I, I can tell you this. There are times when these more than moments will defy what your logic brain wants to accept. And they will challenge you. 
So I don't know what you do with that, but I'm telling you, around here, we honor these nudges. We honor the spontaneous moments where all of a sudden you're going, oh, wait a second here. Do I? Is there a greater, deeper sense of wisdom here on this issue that I have been close to? I'm feeling a nudge right now. I'm seeing a need. And yes, I've got all these commitments, but man, I can't let go of this opportunity to help over here. All we would ask you to do is in the midst of honoring your own faculties to be open to those moments when the spiritual realm feels close and near. When you catch a glimpse, you feel the nudge, the coincidence, whatever, be open. That's where we're going. So, we will speak to the mind. We will challenge, we'll be open about belief and not fact. We'll set, try to keep those things separate. But we'll also acknowledge and celebrate with you as the divine or the, the more than communicates and nudges you in different ways. And we will celebrate when you're willing to just be open to that process.